Good morning, Watts Bar Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Ben Harris, and like Pastor Kelly said, my wife and I are the student pastors. And again, I'm not on the worship team, and I'm going to start, you know, going back to where I resort to. So, my computer's not... Yeah, go ahead and give it up for me again. It's okay. All right, guys. What would you guys say if I said, as we gather today, and as I'm speaking to you, that there could be a killer amongst us? And I know that we're in the south and east Tennessee, so I see all of y'all starting to reach. Y'all are packing right now, so let me dial it back a little bit. Thank y'all for about 35, 40% of y'all packing right now. It's awesome. Uh, Let me dial it back a little bit. What if I told you that you could be living every day, day to day, with a lethal contagion inside of you? Now this, I, I, I cannot emphasize it enough. I cannot make it just any more dramatic. He has brought entire countries to war. He shattered relationships. He has ruined countless marriages. His path is cataclysmic. His ways are ruthless, and his results are always fatal. He has made the mightiest of men fall, and if not put in check, you could be his next victim. His name is Pride. If you allow pride in, the consequences will be deadly. Like I said, it's time and time again we see heroes of the church, heroes of the faith, what we would consider just great men, political people. Pride sneaks in, and the inevitable demise is always soon behind. So we're going to be talking about pride this morning. There's going to be a lot of scripture. I just want you guys to stick with me on it, and this is going to be a very practical message when I share a man and I are the student pastor, so we don't get too fancy down there. We keep it very simple, and that's the way that God speaks to me. Just simplicity is always best. And uh, again, I want to be very practical. I want to de- I de- define pride. I like to identify pride, and then, of course, figure out how to eliminate it. Because the last thing I want to do is get up here and tell you how bad this is, and then just good luck. <laughs> Go do it on your own now. Uh, but identifying it is a difficult identifying can be very difficult. Pride doesn't always come through overt self-confidence. When you see a prideful, you know, typically man, it's more common in men. Yeah, just this overt self-confidence, uh, just arrogance, you know, you, you can see pride just all over them. But there's some, obvi- there's some obvious self-consumed cases of pride, but pride also sneaks in through, you know, multiple forms, multiple outlets that might not be so easily identified. And that's what I want to do this morning. So what is Pride. Definition of pride, arrogant or disdainful conduct. Uh, This is what the Bible says about pride. This is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Again, I love simple, and that's pretty self-explanatory right there. Pride goes before destruction. Start letting pride creep in, and destruction is inevitable. Destruction is inevitable. We have seen this, again, played out in so many people and, of course, all throughout biblical heroes. So today we're going to talk about my all-time favorite. Anybody guess who it is? That, uh, someone knows me. Uh, Jesus. All right. Jesus is the all-time favorite. It's always the correct answer. But Old Testament, we are going to talk about Samson. We're introduced to Samson in Judges chapter 13. Let's read this verse real quick. Judges chapter 13, verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called him Samson. And the, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. 
Um, there's another translation, as he grew up, the Lord is with him. Now listen, Samson isn't, because I know a lot of us are familiar with Samson. A lot of us have heard the story. Samson isn't a story about just a, this Hulk-like character with insanely huge arms. Again, I think as a young boy, that's why we gravitate towards him, just like he's the strong guy and that's who we want to be. This is actually the first message I'm going to do air quotations for message that I ever preached uh, in children's church. Pastor Wendy was my children's pastor, Pastor Jeff and Wendy. And then uh, she had me, she asked me if I wanted to teach. And I was like, absolutely. And then looking back now, I just read the story is literally all I done. Like I got up, opened up my Bible, read the scripture. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't like speaking with authority, like start reading the word and kids start falling out. They were falling asleep. That was it. I really, I think Jane might have a video of that somewhere back in the day. My cheeks were actually chubbier then. That's the sad part. Uh, but no, it's not just this story about this Hulk-like character with insanely huge arms. He's not just the world's strongest man. Samson is a story about God choosing to reside in us when we constantly choose not to reside in him. That's the story of Samson. It's a story of God fulfilling his promises and the redemptive power of his grace. It's a story about his determination that his will is going to be, gun- be done. But he gives us an opportunity to partner in it. He gives, us a part, he gives us an opportunity to be part of something that is bigger than ourselves. Whether we choose to be a part of that or not is totally up to us. But regardless, his will is going to be accomplished. And when I ponder the story of, and, you know, the story of but then tragedy of Samson, one thing is clear. Samson was strong, but God's love is stronger. God's love is stronger. It's always stronger. So Samson, no matter how mighty he was and how great he was, God's love was greater in the end. And we're going to see that play out. So let's go back to Judges chapter 13. Uh, I'll give you a little recap up until this point. The Israelites are, once again, kind of notorious for this. They're sinning against the Lord. The Lord gets frustrated with them. So he allows them to be ruled over by the Philistines. And guess what? God will allow you to be a victim of your own sin. All right? God will allow us to be a victim of our own sinful nature. But he, of course, loves them too much, and thank God he loves us too much to leave them like that. So he has this master plan for them to be delivered by God through Samson. They're going to be delivered by God through Samson. But early in Samson's life, we can see signs of suspicious behavior and a little bit of a prideful nature sneak in. This is Judges chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. When, when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want her. Get her for me. The first form of pride we're going to talk about this morning is entitlement. Entitlement. Again, entitlement is a sneaky form of pride. Entitlement can be obvious and sometimes not obvious. We tell ourselves we deserve this. We are owed this. So, Excuse me. Samson believed he was special enough, important enough to begin taking ownership of what he saw fit. Uh, we do need to take in context, you know, in, in this culture, you know, in biblical days, like if a, a man requested uh, for a woman's hand in marriage, it wasn't totally out of context, but here it is. He is requesting it from a woman from another tribe, someone that he is not supposed to associate with. He, he you know, requests and a little bit more than requests, demands her hand in marriage. And I think that we can begin to see pride begin to creep in through this sense of entitlement. I mean, let's be honest. Up until this point, Samson uh, could have been telling himself that he was, you know, deserved this. He owed this. He was anointed by God. He was was special. He was, you know, superior to others. Um, And truthfully, above that, who was going to stop him? I mean, he was the strongest guy at this point. 
And uh, when you think about that entitlement that he had and what we have, have you ever thought that I deserve this? Have you ever thought that I'm owed this? Even something just, you know, not necessarily bad, but just something that, you know, maybe it's something to purchase, maybe it's materialistic, whatever. You know, we, you know, we deserve this. We've been working hard, and we deserve this, this, whatever this fix is. Would you guys like me to tell you what we deserve? Romans 6, chapter, Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin are death. That's what we deserve, guys, because I, I have sinned, and I don't think anyone else in here, uh, everyone else can say the same thing. That's what we deserve. The wages of sin are death, but God purchased us. Amen? He paid our debts, and we can't ever forget that. So rather than Samson reminding himself that he was the Lord's anointed, he had been set apart from birth. He said the same thing, but with wrong intentions. He was telling himself the same things, using the same words, but the motive of his heart was totally different. He was saying, I've been set apart from birth. I, I, I'm superior to all. Again, I am the Lord's anointed. So this is, this is what I want, and I want it now. We can see entitlement start to creep in in Samson's life. So moving on, Samson chose the young Philistine girl, and thankfully God was at, the work, God was at work the entire time. Uh, you know, Samson, in his ignorance, did not throw God off his master plan. God was still at work. And uh, we pick back up in verse 5. I believe this is 16, verse 5. Yeah, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father and his mother what he had done. He did not tell his father and his mother what he had done. Um, side note, if I ever tear a lion apart with my bare hands, every one of you guys are going to hear the story in vivid detail. It's going to start with me waking up that morning and what I thought when I woke up, all right? Like, you guys are going to get to hear a 24-hour story of me tearing a lion apart. What he even, like, he even translates it to, it was similar to tearing a young goat. I'm pretty sure tearing a young goat in half is, like, a pretty impressive feat. Like, I'm impressed by that. Dad gum. That's cold-blooded right there. Uh, but again... Like I said, I am telling everybody about that. I am not going to be humble about that whatsoever. I'm going to let everyone know that I tore a lion in half. And you got to start asking yourself, like with, with this just impressive um, sign of strength, was Samson starting to show signs of humility? Was Samson starting to show humility? You know, it's nothing to talk about. It is what it is to move on. And not quite. I, I don't think that's the case. And that brings us to our next form of pri- next form of pride. False humility. Listen, guys, false humility is still pride. False humility is still pride. And what I like to think about false humility, there's this Bill Johnson quote, and uh, he, probably similar situation to what happened this morning, a guy got on stage and was singing who thought he could sing, and then afterwards Bill Johnson was telling him, it was actually a female, Bill Johnson was telling her, hey, you did a great job this morning singing. It was her first time up there. She's really nervous. Again, I can totally relate to her, but... He, uh, she, was, she sang that Sunday morning at Bethel, and then uh, Bill Johnson was telling her she did a great job, and she was like, no, not, not me, all him. And then Bill Johnson was like, listen, listen, if Jesus was singing, like galaxies would begin to form, okay? Like stars, new stars, new planets, like if Jesus were to begin to sing. And he told her, he was like, you were good, but you weren't that good, okay? <laughs> and that's what we do. That's what we're grown up with. We've grown up to, you know... I have nothing good in me, and we grew up with this mentality of that we're just trash and that God's good. We're close to it, but again, God made us, guys. 
God made us, so I think that, you know, when you knock the creation from the creator, it knocks the creator, all right? When you pick up their creation, it talks about the creator, and our creator is perfect in every single way, so his creation is somewhat good, all right? And you might wonder about false humility, and I wish I had more time to break this down, but here's a good, uh, a good question to ask yourself. Do you have trouble accepting a compliment? Do you have trouble taking in a compliment? And this is where ladies, I think you guys struggle with this as well. Uh, you know, you have trouble taking in a compliment. That is a form, of, that's a form of false humility right there. That's false humility creeping in, all right? We have to learn what true humility is, and we're going to learn that in a second. So again, he was, uh, he was being quiet. Samson was being quiet about um, this amazing victory he had over this line. He was, you know, being strange about it. And then we continue on in verse 8. It says, after some time, when he, uh, after some days, he returned to take her. Again, talking about the woman that he had seen that he wanted. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. There's another translation. I wish I would have put it in there. But it says that he left the road to go see the lion. So he went out of his way to go look at what he had done. And again, I think this reinforces the false humility at play. He left just to go see the great doings of his own work. He went out of his way just to admire his handiwork and how victorious he was over this lion. So again, he went out of his way just to do that. Uh, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And then verse 9. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. Again, this is a man's man, all right? This is not the type of guy to get up and try to rap wearing skinny jeans. Like, this is a man's man. He killed a lion and then later on just scooped out the honey and is just walking down the road like boss move right there, all right? Absolute boss move. It's the coolest thing ever. Uh, but I wish I had some kind of like biblical context to tell you or like some kind of like Greek hidden thing right there. It's not. It's just really, really cool. That's all it is. It's really, really cool. Um, so yes, he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, gave some of the honey to them, but did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Again, very strange dialogue what we're reading right here. There's a little bit more biblical context to this as well, um, but we've got to really take into note like why he was so secretive in his actions. Is that not strange for the Bible to put that in there, like what was going on? And again, I think this is where we learn uh, Samson's next form of pride, and this form came in the form of independence. This form of pride came in the form of independence. It's all throughout Samson's life. He judges Israel 20 years, but we never see him having anyone close to him. We never see anyone having a close to him, no accountability anywhere. He wanted to be the lone ranger, the one-man show. And if we, take a, if we just you know, connect the dots in the story, what we're reading, early on he involved his father and his mother. They were, they were with him in the process. He found a woman. He asked them to be a part of it. He asked them to go with him to go get her. You know, he wanted to include them in it. But when they pressed him, when they said, Samson, I don't think this is a good idea. When they pressed him on it, when that accountability started to kick in, that's when he began to remove himself from it. That's when he began to act independently. That's when he began to, you know, not want that accountability and want to do things on his own. And here's the really tricky thing about independence. All these forms of pride, the easiest way to combat them is do the opposite. Entitlement, you don't want to you know, act entitled, be grateful. Just show gratitude in everything that you do. Realize that we don't deserve God's grace, but he gives it anyways. Be grateful for it. Be grateful for every blessing that God you know, allows us to have. That's how we combat entitlement. False humility, what do we do? We show authentic humility. 
We actually be humble in, in every situation and in, in every circumstance. We approach it with humility. The tricky thing about independence is you can't really just be dependent. Because the unfortunate thing is, is we're dependent on the wrong things. A lot of us are dependent on a drug, on a pill, on a screen, on another relationship. Those are the things that we can be dependent on. We have to be dependent on God and God alone, all right? You can't just, be de- you can't just jump from one thing to the next thing, okay? You can't just jump from, you know, drugs to alcohol or from this relationship to this relationship. None of those are going to be able to be your anchor, all right? You have to be dependent on the correct thing, and that correct thing is God. The other tricky thing about independence is you can start out being independent. You can start out doing things on your own. You can start out saying, I don't need you. I'm fine on my own. I like where I'm at. And eventually, you draw a line from independence to isolation. You start out being independent, not wanting help, and soon you'll find yourself isolated where you're not going to have any help around. We keep building these walls up. We keep keep building these walls up and not allowing anyone in, and soon there's not going to be anyone to allow in, all right? Independence always leads to isolation. Unfortunately, this is where I connect to Samson to the most. It's crazy to even verbalize, to even say it out loud, to say that I don't need help, that I can do it on my own. Um, but that's what I convince myself. I convince myself that things are easier by myself. Listen, I've just personally, I have been in a, uh, that's what I'm going to say on a personal scale example for me. I've been in a relationship with Amanda since I was 14 years old. Okay. The last thing that you would think that I would be is independent. Okay. I've almost been in a relationship like as longer than I've really been alive. I've half of it. Yeah, that might work out. I've been in a relationship I'm 26, over half of my life. That's what I'm trying to say. No, when I came out of the womb, I was like, this is the lady that I'm going to marry, and I love her so much. Trying to say half of it. I know more of my life being married to Amanda than I don't. Bingo. Thank you, Pastor Renee. That's very sweet. She feels bad for me. She's like, it's okay. You're not making any sense, but it's okay. We We still love you. You're the best. No, like I said, I've been in a relationship that long. You would think, you would th- the last thing you would think is I would have the spirit of independence uh, about me, but it's true. Like I said, I, I absolutely hate asking for help. It kills everything inside of me, but for some reason, that's where I find myself at. I even, I even came true, or like came on, or uh, I even brought Amanda in, like let her listen to this song one time, and I was like, listen, I want you to sit down and listen to this. It's not that big of a deal because I'm easier at communicating my feelings than she is. Um, so for her to do this, it'd be a really big deal. But I, like, communicate my feelings anyways. But I played her that song, and I said, this is everything that I feel inside of me that I want to tell you. I want you to know that I need you. I, I, I need your time. I need you to remind of my potential. I need, I need all of these things. I need, uh, I need this from you. Because the last thing that I, you know, like I said, the last thing I want to do is just be independent and, and conquer life alone. And if I were to conquer it alone, like I said, I would be alone and in the end, no one to share it with. So I ran it there for a minute, but hopefully it was Holy Spirit. Moving on with chapter 14. Uh, so Samson is in this altercation with the Philistines at the, uh, during chapter 14, and then he makes this deal with them. And I'm going to try to just abbreviate to save time. And he gives them a riddle, and it involves the the lion and the honey, but then he shares the answer with his girlfriend, or as the Bible refers to her as his heifer. Um, that's in the Bible, all right? He calls her, he said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have known. And again, it is like top seven of my favorite verses for sure, because it's just really cool. 
But that's, it's prideful. It's, man, it's prideful to talk like that, all right? We've got to be better than that. We've got to be much more humble. Uh, but after that, after he shares him this riddle, uh, he's tricked, and then he goes into this full rage, and he ends up killing 30 men just to fulfill his part of the deal. Um, and that's chapter 14. Chapter 15, we're not going to get into depth too much on, um, but I do want to just highlight one point. And again, this all ties in with that pride that sneaks in to Samson's demise. Um, he takes, uh, in, in, the, in the chapter, he takes the jawbone of a donkey, and he ends up killing 1,000 men with it. And then verse 18, if you could pull that up, B.B. After this great victory he has, uh, he, and uh, after killing it, and he says, the Bible says, and he was very thirsty. And he called, he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I, not, I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Verse 19. And God split a hollow place in the ground at Lee, and water came out of it. After Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. His strength returned, and he revived. I want to kind of debunk one of the biggest, most common misconceptions, misconceptions about the story of Samson. We've always learned and always grown up that Samson's strength came from his hair. Samson's strength came from his hair. That's where his strength come from. Even if we backtrack to verse 13, or chapter 13 when we're introduced to him, um, before the birth of Samson, when the promise is being given to his mother by the angel of the Lord, it says no razor shall come upon his head. It says nothing about him having this incredible strength. Nowhere does it say that. And that's what proves that Samson's strength did not come from his hair. It came from God. God was the one that gave him his strength. It had nothing to do with Samson's look, Samson's might, and especially Samson's hair. This, uh, the strength came from God. But unfortunately, that's all what was all, we've always been told. We've always been told that's where his strength comes from. Just like we've been told our strength comes from what we do best. Our strength is in what we do best, whether it's preaching, singing, where it's our, our, our ability to make money. Whatever that is, that's, that's our strength. That's, what, that's, that's our source of strength. Guys, our source of strength is God. And all those abilities, he was the one that gave them to us, right? He is the one that gave them to us. God is our only source of strength, the only consistent one, the only faithful one, all right? God is our source of strength, God alone. Unfortunately, Samson forgot this key detail. Samson forgot. That was one of the biggest details that he forgot, that, that God is his source of strength. So reading on chapter 16, we are introduced to the famous story of Delilah. This is where this story comes from, and Samson's pride finally catches up with him. Samson's pride finally catches up with him. He still has his luscious hair, and he is judge over Israel, and I'd like to think that this is just kind of like the, the pinnacle uh, uh, of where he's at. He's, he's kind of on top. There's 20 years that we don't learn about, that we don't hear about, that he's judging Israel. I'd like to think that there's just story after story of you know, just the improved, um, proof of his strength and what he's capable of. Um, I'm sure that he's, he's extremely popular. Uh, again, like I said, you know, all these stories, I'm sure this was just like a, a common thing. Kid, or parents tell them to their kids you know, that Samson was very famous for his strength. And like I said, I think he's kind of at the pinnacle of uh, his life. But we've always heard it. Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. This chapter opens up, chapter 16, it opens up with yet another testament to Samson's great strength. Samson goes to Gaza, he sleeps with a prostitute. Middle of the night, he learns that he will be ambushed in the morning. So he sneaks out and he takes the gates of the city with him. 
He takes the gates of the city with him. I can't find a specific weight on it. I've tried to study and study, but we're talking anywhere from like 7,000 to 20,000 pounds. He uproots the gates of the city out of the ground, hoists them on his shoulders, and carries them almost 40 miles. Again, like just absolutely crazy. And I think when we read that story, we just say how just this guy is so strong. Like this is so impressive. But let's look at that story a little bit closer because I don't think that's the moment we need to highlight. Let's look at this a little closer. Samson went to Gaza. Translation, Samson went somewhere. He had absolutely no business going. Biblical context, he had absolutely no business being there. He went to bed with a prostitute, something he had absolutely no business doing. Yet God still showed him grace. Yet God still showed him grace, and he gave him the strength to carry the gates. That's what should be highlighted, not, God's, not Samson's strength, God's grace. When we read that, that's what we should highlight right there, God's infinite grace and how he just continues to remain faithful even though that Samson has been the fool. In Judges 16, chapter, or chapter 16, verse 4, this is where we get introduced to Delilah. And I'll read this. After this, he loved a woman. He just slept with a prostitute, so I feel like love might be a dramatic term, all right? Uh, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. Uh, next verse, verse 6. And it said, And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. For the sake of time, I'll abbreviate the story here because it gets kind of a little bit repetitive. But the Philistines come to Delilah. Um, they're going to pay, pay her the money. So then um, Samson starts making up random lies. You know, that, you know uh, Delilah begins to press him on, on, on what could subdue him, what could, you know, overtake his strength. And he tells her that seven fresh bowstrings, bowstrings that have never been uh, dried, uh, to take those, bind them up, and he'll become as weak as any other man. So she does that. The Philistines wait for the cue. She yells, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. They come in to ambush him. He breaks the, string, he breaks the bonds away, he breaks the strings away, and then he e easily overpowers the men. Delilah cannot believe Samson has made a fool of her, so she begins nagging him until he makes up yet another lie. This happens three more times, four times total, okay? This pretty much same situation happens where Delilah presses him on, on what can overtake him. Now, as a man, I feel like we should give Samson a grace round, okay? I mean, he was trying to hook up with this girl, and she was like, yo, let me tie you up. And then, like, I feel like we got to give him a grace round, okay? My mom is giving me the most evil look right now. It's similar to the one that Pastor Denise has given me. It's kind of strange. Even if we give him a grace round, okay, this still happens three more times after that. Three more times, and even listen to Delilah. Listen to, you know, exactly what she's saying. Let me know how that you can be overtaken. Let me know what would take your strength away. Like, how would men come in to overtake you? Like, is it not obvious what she's trying to do? She pulls the same stunt three more times after the grace round. And how could Samson not see what was going on here? Like, he's got to be, just, just reading this story from an outside perspective, looking in, like, how could he be so clueless to what was going on? From the outside looking in, Samson looks like the dumbest dumb person that has ever been dumb before. Like, you cannot believe that he is making these decisions, am I right? But preparing for this message and reading over this, 
you know, kind of what's going on here and what's taking place. Holy Spirit gave me something, and uh, honestly, I'm enormously proud of it, but uh, I like it when Holy Spirit speaks to me. Makes me feel pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. What were we talking about? Pride? Okay. Um, but no, you want to know what I think the greatest character trait is? Um, among all else, what I believe the greatest ability for someone have, someone to have is. Because there's some really outstanding character traits. Uh, for example, Amanda and I, we absolutely love it when one of our students is teachable. Man, when they are teachable, golly day, it makes life so easy. Like, so easily. We had two students just right from the get-go, uh, Zion and Kendall. They were our first, some of our first batch of kids coming through. And man, they were so teachable. Like, it was just so easy because, you know, they'd do things wrong. And then, you know, Kendall would beat around the bush and say, well, how do I do this? Again, like he was teachable uh, and, and we love it. Like we love it when kids are teachable. Kids that are teachable are just so special. And then that's one of my, it's one of my favorite character traits, but I still think this one's greater. And I fully understand when I say this, I'm taking 1 Corinthians chapter 13 into context. Amongst, the greatest amongst these is love. I'm not arguing against that, but I want y'all to hear me out for a second because I think the greatest character trait someone can have is self-awareness. Self-awareness. And here's my argument for it. When I'm not loving my wife, when I'm not loving my children, when I'm not loving my neighbor like the Bible tells me to, then I'm failing. Like I failed, I missed the, I missed the mark. When I'm doing that, and I'm, again, I'm still failing, but when I'm self-aware of it, I can ask God to change me. I can ask God to help me in that area. When I'm not being teachable, when I'm not being teachable, it's going to be impossible for me to grow. When I'm not teachable, there's no way for me to grow. But when I'm not being teachable, but yet I'm self-aware of it, I can see where my weakness is, and I can say, God, I need your help in this area because I need to grow. I think it would be so healthy for each and every one of us in our relationships with each other, with our, in our marriage, it just even as, as, a, as a child of God, I think it's so important to have that self-awareness for a moment. Do you need to take a very difficult look at yourself? Have you lacked self-awareness? And this is the really sad part of that. Ask yourself, has someone else paid the price of the, your lack of self-awareness? Has someone else paid the price of your lack of self-awareness? It's exactly what was happening in Samson's life. We've got to remind ourselves that he is the judge of Israel right now. He is judge over Israel for 20 years. These decisions he's making are not just affecting him. These decisions that he's making, this sin that he's fallen into with Delilah, these decisions are not just affecting him. They're affecting everyone that he has been called to judge over. And the lack of self-awareness became so very visible in Samson's fall. So like I said, that happens four times that Delilah is pressing him on the source of strength. And then the fourth and following fourth and final time, she's desiring how to know he could be overcome. And Samson finally told her the secret. He finally came clean with it. And when you read the dialogue, it, 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 he keeps getting a little bit closer and closer. He keeps, getting, he keeps just moving a little bit to that mark. And I didn't put this in there, but I really think that he had the, he had the, uh, the concept, he had the mentality of he could handle it. He could, he could play with this sin. He, could, he was strong enough to do this. He was strong enough to go back into that relationship. He was strong enough to go to that place, be around in that environment where we know that we mess up time and time again. We convince ourselves that we can handle it. We're strong enough. We can go back to that. So Samson tells her the secret, verse 17. 
if you could pull that up for me, BB. Verse 17, he says, uh, My hair has never been cut because I am a Nazareth from birth. If I'm shaved, my strength will leave me, and I will become weak like any other man. I might not have it up there, and that's fine. I'm sorry. So verse 17, he tells her the whole truth. He says, My hair has never been cut. Um, it's been like that from birth. If he's shaved, he'll become weak like any other man. Even in telling this truth, Samson was still inaccurate. I want you guys to go with me here for a second. The truth was that if his hair was cut, he would become weak. But that still was not a very accurate statement. And I feel like there's this final moment here with God and Samson. I feel like he kind of has a final moment. God has, has let him tiptoe this path. God's allowed him to just make his own decisions to get to this mark. And I feel like him and God kind of have this final moment. Because what we talked about earlier, his hair was not his strength. God was his strength. And even in this moment right now, I think really, I think it could have played out so much differently. I think Samson could have had that self-awareness kick in. He could have been aware of what he was doing, the situation that he was in, the, the, the horrible decision that he was about to make. Samson could have humbled himself, and he could have said, yes, if you cut my hair, my strength will leave, but my strength comes from God. I've consecrated myself to him from birth. This, is, this hair is a tangible representation of the promise that he made me. This, this, this isn't my strength. God is my strength. And I feel like in that moment, he could have just had this self-realization and just been like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm throwing so much away. I'm throwing so much away right now for something that is not going to be worth it. And I feel like in that moment, this story could have just went so different. That could have been, that could have been the beginning of another 20 years of Samson's reign, Samson's judgment over Israel. God could have did so much in that moment. But unfortunately, he did not have the self-awareness. He did not humble himself. Closing out chapter 16 and, and the continuation of that in verse 19, his hair does get shaved. Um, she comes in uh, and she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And it's this heartbreaking, heartbreaking moment uh, that he realizes that his strength has left him. He realized that he, is, he has played with the fire for too long and he has finally got the results of it. He realizes his source of, strength, uh, source of strength is gone. He is not able to overtake him and the Philistines take him captive in that moment. There's still so much more that the Holy Spirit teaches us in this chapter and I'm, I'm leaving out a lot of it and there are several preaching points that I like to think of and it, and it shows the redemptive power of God's grace and I absolutely I want to make two points, and I want to make them abundantly clear uh, about God's grace and his redemption at work. But I want to give you a, a very accurate synopsis of Samson's final moments because, truthfully, it is. It is so heartbreaking. So the Philistines see Samson. They gouge out his eyes, and they carry him back down to Gaza. And he's later on, after he's taken there, he's paraded in front of the Philistines during this big feast as they celebrate their victory. And finally humbled, Samson prays and he pushes two pillars over that bring down the whole temple on top of himself and the Philistines. And the Bible says in that moment he killed more Philistines than he killed in his entire life. Up until this point, Samson has only taught us about pride. It's the only thing we've been able to learn from him and we've, we finally get to learn a little bit of humility from him. And we learn how we can combat pride. The first one, very simple, humble yourself. Humble yourself. You want to combat pride? You see pride sneaking in in your life? Humble yourself. That's all you got to do. It's as simple as that. James 4, 6 gives a great um, visual of what that is. One step further than that, 
We've got to recognize our source of strength, guys. We've got to recognize your source of strength, okay? In, in taking humility, in, in being humble, we recognize that it's not us. It's not us. It is God and God alone. And trust me, that is such a freeing place to get to. That is such a freeing place to get to. I see Scott Shaw, he's about to just jump up out of his seat and get pumped up because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. When you humble yourself and pray, when we finally let go and let God, just like Pastor Kelly was saying earlier, when we finally recognize our source of strength, that's when pride retreats and God can do just unimaginable things through us. God can accomplish so much through us when we finally get to that point. But that's the point we have to get to, realizing our need for Jesus. I wrote this and kind of closing out. Pride says, I don't need you. Even, even saying, saying it, I almost started singing it because I've said it so much here lately. Pride says, I don't need you. Humility says, God, I need you. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I've tried. I've righteously screwed it up. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you to come in and take away all this pain, all this anxiety, all this depression. God, I need you. That's what humility responds with. I'd like to end on that note. I'd like to end on that high note, that humility, bam, you know, just kind of go out with a bang. Uh, and, and it's very difficult for me to end this message like this because um, this message sounds like one of those testimonies that we all love that's 30 minutes of how bad everything is and then 30 seconds of, but God is good, and then boom, it's over. Like, is he really that good? Because I'm starting to kind of doubt it. Uh, but that's, that's the story of Samson, guys. That's the story of Samson. I think we all want this story with a happy ending. And like I said, God's, redemption, God, God's redemptive power was at work. God can redeem any story here. But that's really not the story of Samson. Samson is a story of what could have been. It's heartbreaking to say, but Samson is, is the story of, of, of what could have been. Even though Samson puts pride aside and shows humility, um, I still don't believe this story has a happy ending. And there's another incredible, incredible point of God's redemptive work. Uh, in verse 22, the Bible says, but his hair began to grow back. And I feel like it's one of those verses that you got to like be old school Pentecostal and start shouting, but his hair began to grow back. Um, take a handkerchief, wipe the sweat away from your forehead, rip off your blazer. I'm not that Pentecostal. I'm sorry. But like I said, that even shows, even that verse and that point, it emphasizes God's redemption at work. Um, but let's take this a little bit further. Let's look at this story. In Samson's final act, you know, he died. He died right there. And I think, I do not believe that that was God's intention uh, for his life to end like that. I don't believe that God intended him to only be able to take out these Philistines and him die in the act of doing it. I believe that there was so much more that God wanted to do through Samson. But unfortunately, Samson allowed pride to call the shots up until it was too late. Samson allowed pride to make the decision, decisions. And now, what do we remember about Samson? The famous story of Delilah. That is, that you ask him about Samson, and that's the first story that comes to mind. If he wouldn't allow pride to dictate, what would we remember about Samson? We would remember him hoisting the gates upon his shoulders. We remember him tearing the line apart. We would remember all these courageous acts that he did, that he accomplished, and so much more. There was so much more that God wanted to do through him. And I think that's what God is saying this morning. There's so much more I want to do through you. There's so much, there's so much more. You are just beginning to scratch the surface of what I want to accomplish through you. 
Do not allow pride to creep in. Do not allow pride to dictate what you say. Go ahead and stand with me, please. I guess if you hear anything, hear the warning. Hear the warning that God has given us today. Because when we read Samson's life, it was, it was basically too late to show humility. Again, like I said, God can redeem any story here. Any person here, no matter what it is, what you've been through, God can redeem it. But is that what we want, to make horrible decisions, leave this trail of brokenness behind us, and then finally at our deathbed say, God, I need you to, I need you to fix my life. I need you to take all this. Or allow him to do that now so that as we walk, we can help other people be free. We can help other, other people find wholeness and healing in Jesus. Don't let pride dictate your life. Don't wait till it's too late to humble yourself. Because unfortunately, we wait till the relationship is damaged. We, late, we wait till the marriage is almost broken before we, let, or we, we allow ourselves to be humbled. Don't wait until it's too late. Let's pray. I just, want to, I just want to pause for a moment and just allow Holy Spirit to, just to speak. Holy Spirit, we need you, God. We just, we soften our hearts right now. Speak to your people. God, we want exactly what you want. That's Jesus. pray uh, I'm gonna pray a prayer just of, of people anyone dealing with pride but I feel like this is where this is where Holy Spirit is telling me to go there's so many marriages in here and you guys aren't saying what you feel because in your heart you you love that spouse you you have great affection for them but we're allowing pride to to not allow ourselves to apologize. We're, we're letting pride call the shots. And like Pastor Kelly says, we'd rather be right than be reconciled. I believe God is speaking to some married people right now. And uh, you know what? I'm going to pray over marriages. And this is what I feel like Holy Spirit is doing. If you, you want to come down to these altars and do it, But I think a lot of times we stop short. We ask forgiveness from God, and we don't ask forgiveness for the people we've actually hurt here. And I believe God is, I believe God is saying to some people right now, I'm, I'm here in marriage right now, but uh, I'm going to pray for, for all of us, but I really believe that there are some married couples that you guys, you need to turn to your spouse and you need to say, I'm sorry. I've allowed pride to, to, to not allow me to apologize where I was wrong. I've stuck to my guns, and, and, and I just need to, I need to apologize. I feel like that's what Holy Spirit is saying, so I'm going to pray, and uh, I think we just need to take a moment. Like I said, if married people, if y'all want to come down to these altars, we can get some prayer warriors to pray with y'all, but uh, after I pray, I believe that is exactly where God wants us to go, and that's what Holy Spirit wants to do. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, God. God, I thank you for Holy Spirit. Bring in Holy Spirit, you're you are what makes us self-aware, God. You bring stuff to our to our mind, Father Lord. You are, God, you are the one doing the works, Lord. Where we can't, where we've fallen short, Lord, and sometimes we can't even see that, God. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to go out right now, Lord. Remind ourselves, not bring shame, but bring conviction. Where we've been wrong, 
where we've been wrong, where we've said hurtful things just to cover for our own pride, where we've not been able to apologize, where we've, where we've been in the wrong. God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you just bring that to our remembrance right now, Father. God, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, we're able to put pride aside for a moment. If that's you, just go ahead and lift up your hands for a moment. Lord, we, we put pride aside, God. God, I pray that there is an authentic humbleness, God, that will come about us, God. We recognize, Lord, that it's you alone, God. We can't do it on our own, God. It is you and you alone, Lord, and we are in desperate need of your, 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 your salvation, your grace, your forgiveness, God, and, of course, Lord, your redemptive power, God. God, I pray over the marriages in right now. God, I, I, I firmly believe that's where Holy Spirit is saying to go. Father, I pray over the hearts, God, of these married people. Lord, you would soften the hearts. Men, God, we'd, men, raise your hand. Just raise your hand in here. As, as men of God, we'd be quick to forgive. We'd be quick to add, ask for forgiveness. We'd be quick to recognize our own faults and our own flaws. God, I pray that you soften our hearts, God. You soften our hearts, Lord. It's not, it's not a, a, a sign of manliness that we don't apologize, God. It is a sign of manliness, Lord, that we're, we can say that we're sorry, God, that we can ask for that forgiveness. God, I pray that you soften our hearts in here. God, I pray for the wives, Lord. Is, is, Lord, if they're in the wrong, Lord, they're able to apologize, but God, they receive it with such grace, God. They receive this with such grace, God, and respond in grace, God. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word this morning, God, and I just, uh, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.